place it comfortably. So tonight, um, I'm going to extend the talk from um, talking about patience uh, into patience as one of the, the parameters. Um, and uh, so I decided to uh, give a talk on the six parameters, on the whole, the whole uh, context of that. And the title of this talk is The Transformation of Character. And it's through the practice of the parameters that we transform the character. Um, but before I go into that, I just wanted to share with you a couple of things before I launch into it. Is that uh, one thing I had another interesting wildlife experience today. I think about a year or two ago, I mentioned when I came down to Melbourne that um, I was walking through the, the forest near where I live and I got attacked by a, um, a butcher bird that pecked me on the cheek and it drew blood. Well, I went down for a walk down the same track today and I was aware that they could probably be around, but I didn't really take much notice of it. But I got attacked three times. They drew blood three times as they hit me on the, on the cheek and pecked me on the cheek. And they even knocked off my cochlear implant, but I didn't know it at the time. They hit me that hard. And that wasn't until I was halfway down the track, I realised I couldn't hear out of that ear and I, I went back, found it. Um, but because they're butcher birds and they're just protecting their young, um, I was reflecting that I didn't real, really feel any um, anger or frustration or annoyance at them. They were just doing what butcher birds do. But I was wondering, hypothetically, how it would have been if I'd been walking down a shopping centre and there was a man with a baby in a pram and I went close to the baby and the man attacked me, whether, whether I would feel the same generosity of spirit, I don't know. I think I'll be a bit more challenged. Um, secondly, um, one thing that came out of a discussion that Anya reminded me of is that I, I mentioned that um, we were putting together two strands of traditional practice in this session where through having a structured session and sitting together, it's a sort of extension of a monastic practice, a group practice together, temple practice, and that we also have the hermit tradition where people sit alone. But Anya reminded me what was um, hidden in plain view is also the householder tradition. And um, so when you reflect on it, um, we're actually um, winding together three strands as we do this um, Zoom session is the sitting together with the structure of a group and the individual solo sitting and then having to interact with children and partners you know, and in that everyday setting as well. And I think the, the challenge for all of us that we're meeting is how we transition between each of those different experiences. It's very easy if you're just in a sort of a session monastic situation, it's just all there is. You don't have to transition to anything else. But that transitioning from structured group to individual back to interacting with other people in everyday life is more challenging, but it's also closer to what our everyday life experience is. 
So we had the opportunity to really practice with that. And in our tradition too, particularly in the ordinary mind Zen school, uh, but in other, other, many other Zen centres in Australia and America too, is we don't, unlike Asia, we don't sort of necessarily see monastic traditions as being superior, whether it's hermit or, or monastic. There's a tendency in, in Western Buddhism to just see them more as equal. You know, there's benefits you get from that devoting your life to a monastic tradition or a hermit experience. Um, but there's also things that perhaps you would learn that you wouldn't learn from those other experiences by being in an intimate relationship and having children. So we don't see it as a second best and we don't see it as being superior, um, but it's an equally um, challenging and fruitful practice to be a householder, so to speak. And whether we're monastics, hermits or householders, um, the practice is the same for all of us, that the practice is about the transformation of character. And to look at that a little bit more closely, that the transformation of character is really outlaid very, very clearly in the teaching of the six parameters. Now, the word parameter is, trans is translated as perfection, um, and uh, so it's the six perfections. But what you need to understand about this as a practice, it's not, it's not about becoming perfect. It's, it's in a sense, it's an aspiration to move towards that. But the practice is about starting with our imperfections, you know, and as we go through the, through the different parameters to realise that we're on a journey to fulfil them you know, and to make that character change as we fulfil them. And it's important to remember that the practice of these um, parameters, just as with the practice of, of aspiring to awakening, it's a, the practice is a journey. It's not a destination. Mm -hmm. To make it into a destination would be some fixed enlightened state that you just go there and permanently you know, radiate through the rest of your life. But we're human beings, right? And um, we're all flawed human beings to one degree. And we start from that place, but we're not starting just um, indulging in it or recognise it. We're, we're starting from that place to actually grow into, um, out of a, a self-centred way of being in the world into a more inclusive and altruistic way of being in the world. And that's true of most world religions. Mm -hmm. So to go through the parameters, um, and I'm taking this mainly from Nor Norman Fisher's version, um, there is generosity, um, which is in contrast to miserliness. There's ethics, um, which is in con contrast to causing harm. Patience, as we dealt with yesterday, in contrast to frustration and anger and aggression. And then there's joyous effort, which is in contrast to laziness. There's meditation, which is in contrast to distraction. And finally, there is wisdom, 
which is in contrast to ignorance. And as you all know, the Heart Sutra that we recite is the, the Prajna Paramita Heart Sutra. So Prajna is, the, is wisdom, the Wisdom Paramita Sutra, which we're all very, very familiar with. Now, Yamada Roshi, who was um, Robert Aitken's Japanese teacher, um, used to say quite frequently that Zen is the perfection of character, or in my words, the transformation of character. And also, when we read Hakuen Zenji's song of Zazen, he emphasises that all the parameters, generosity, self-discipline, etc., all arise within Zazen, is that they emerge through this fundamental, wonderful practice that we all have. It's through that experience that they come out. <clears throat> One of the things which has been um, a learning experience, I guess, as Zen has gone west, come west, is that back when I started off, you know, in the 1970s, 80s, and so on, um, and, and on from there with um, secular mindfulness, as that meditation, as one of the parameters, has been drawn out of Buddhism and placed in a kind of exalted position. And uh, the rest has not been emphasised very much at all. So meditation, everyone wanted to meditate, everyone wanted to have special experiences, kensho experiences, um, go through different jhana states in the Theravada tradition. It's all about having these special internal experiences which were somehow going to, the insight that came from it was going to just automatically transform our suffering so it would lead a a wonderful life. And certainly we all know and we all treasure meditation as being one of those parameters, but it's not the whole meal. Mm -hmm. It's only part of it. And the transformation of character, which is the bodhisattva path, requires that we engage with all of these parameters. Not just one, not just two, all of them. Mm -hmm. I believe there's another system that has 10 of them, but we'll just focus on six today. It's enough for a lifetime's work. It's possible for people to just meditate and not think about generosity, patience, ethics, and so on, which are all relational terms. Generosity is a, a relational term. Patience is. Uh, ethics, they're all relational terms, how we interact with life and with other people. And um, there's a risk that if we just focus on meditation, we could, it could be another, just another um, sophisticated form of self-absorption. Uh, we just get self-absorbed in our own little quiet samadhi experience and that's, that's enough, thank you, that will do for me. But we're actually not actually really connected with the whole of life and it's limited and all the Zen teachers in the Zen tradition warn about getting stuck in that state of just being stuck in a, a place of calm deep samadhi 
and they referred to it as a cave. Right? And they, they were quite um, robust in the way of waking people up out of that cave. Shout at them, hit them. Mm -hmm. Get them to wake up out of that deep samadhi state in terms of engaging with life. And so it's not just about the practice, it's not just about bliss states. Mm -hmm. It's much more than that. Um, in Western Zen to a Western Dharma, we've also learnt the hard way over a, a few decades now um, that so-called insight, you know, um, these glimmers of bliss and kensho, etc., don't necessarily automatically translate into a transformation of character. And we've had many, I'll speak just out of the Zen tradition, but we've had many teachers in the Western tradition who have been exalted and put up, you know, in an exalted position for having some satori or enlightenment experience. And they can be often very charismatic people, um, but they've got poor character, mm -hmm. um, very low ethical standards, um, uh, sexually um, taking advantage of students, financially taking advantage of students, even lying, cheating, which is so, it's one of our koans, I guess, that someone could have some clarity of mind and yet it doesn't flow through to their character. So I think that as Zen has matured in the West, um, we're starting to see that practice is more than just about um, meditation. Now, if we look at each of the, pre at each of the parameters um, more specifically, so starting with generosity, um, of course we can be generous with giving away material things and giving time to things and so on, um, acts of service. Um, but there's another dimension of um, generosity which is probably important to highlight, which comes just through um, the, the presence um, of our being that we present to other people, that we can present to other people. If you really really absorbed in practice and it's and it's shifting the way you experience the world then it's generous to actually have a presence which brings one freshness um, don't know mind you know beginner's mind freshness to each encounter that you have with other people or other things in the world that in itself is a an act of generosity um, just simply bringing here and now presence to each person you meet or each situation that you meet is a form of generosity. Bringing peacefulness and harmony is a form of generosity. Bringing stability is a form of generosity. Allowing people space, like respecting other people's boundaries, allowing them the freedom to act individually different from yourself, that's an act of generosity. And finally, what is also an act of generosity is giving understanding to other people. Um, working as a psychologist over many years, 
um, when you look at the research on what is effective counselling, what's made a difference to a client coming along and, and spending time, you know, counselling hours with you? One of the things that clients, patients say most frequently over anything else, it wasn't the method they used, um, it wasn't the title they had or whatever. What made a difference is I just felt understood. I just felt deeply understood by another person. And that in itself is very transformative. But it's not only therapists can do that. We can bring empathy and understanding to, to all situations um, in life. But all of those things are not something that you necessarily have to do. Um, they're things that come out of our being if we practice. Second one is um, ethics. Um, and we're all fairly familiar with, I think, the precepts. But just to summarise the precepts in a few words, um, it's not harming, um, not cheating, not lying, not stealing, you know, not being self-indulgent. That would pretty much, in a sense, sum up what is the theme of the precepts. So it's not about just doing no harm, but it's also about not being um, self-centered, you know, and to realize one's interconnectedness with life. Patience, we looked at yesterday, and uh, seeing patience as constancy, um, not just tolerating the moment until you can get to the next one, but actually just surrendering to each moment with kindness. And um, I noticed in my reading today that um, Thich Nhat Hanh actually translate patience, Kashanti, as inclusiveness, sense of in including all experiences that come our way rather than some included and some excluded. Next comes um, diligence or discipline, self-discipline, and uh, or joyous work, as Norman Fisher calls it. Now, the thing to remember about discipline is it's basically about continuous practice. Right? Continuous practice. It's a commitment to continuous practice. So you could have a practice where you're disciplined by doing your half an hour of sazen each day and then you forget about it and you don't, you don't really focus on the rest of these other parameters as you go through your day. It's not continuous. It's, it's continuous perhaps for that half hour but it doesn't continue into the rest of your life. Or you do a session, you know, and you have the discipline of session but it doesn't follow through into a commitment of continuity in your everyday life. And so when we really engage with these parameters beyond just meditation, there is a commitment to keep this continuity going through every experience that we have in our life. And they are there to be engaged with all the time. There's always something testing our patience, you know, testing our limited generosity, you know, or um, our wisdom or insight. And the next one is um, meditation or 
um, meditation, which can be usually concentration or mindfulness, but meditation. But what is consistent to all forms of meditation or Buddhist meditation is the, is the experience of stopping. Mm -hmm. The Pali Sanskrit word, I'm not sure which one it is, is sati. Sati means to stop. So whether we're doing um, mindfulness, like open awareness or concentration on a focus, whatever it is, mu, it's always about stopping. And so it's stopping this continuous inner chatter, this inner tape that keeps rolling through our mind. Mm -hmm. Instead of letting it just automatically wander wherever it wants to go, the monkey mind, it's like we, we notice that that's what it wants to do, but we go, stop, right? And it's, it's, we break the thread of that loop, right? And we come back to the present moment each time. And then off it goes again, and we stop, and we bring it back. That is the nature of meditation. And as we all know, that's how it goes. It's not so you stop and you just stay there. You stop and it drifts off. You stop and it drifts off. Stop and it drifts off. And you have that commitment to bringing it back each time. And that's the cutting edge of the practice. In um, the Mumon Khan, the gateless barrier, in the first koan, Mu, refers to Mu as cutting off the mind road. Um, if you just focus on Mu instead of following all those endless thoughts and emotions and fantasies, you cut off the mind road. It brings you back to now. And also, um, with wisdom or insight or understanding, the prajna parameter. The prajna parameter is being considered in traditional Buddhism as being the mother of all the other parameters. Is that when there's wisdom, um, it manifests in these other different ways. Um, but to go back to what I was saying before about some of our unfortunate experience with some teachers, it doesn't seem like this automatically happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Unless really the experience wasn't that deep in the first place, you know, and it became um, inflated into something more than what it was. But as we practice, there is the practice of insight, which is going beyond mental constructions, going beyond logic, going beyond narratives, going beyond concepts, and seeing the world directly as it is, not through that prism of conceptual right and wrong and true and false, etc. Mm -hmm. So that is the mother of all the other parameters, to have that non-conceptual, clear understanding of life as it is, before thinking comes in. Because believe it or not, um, we all live in our descriptions of reality rather than reality itself. And Zen is a way of cutting through the descriptions into reality itself, to life as it is. Mm -hmm. So, 
just like many other religions, Zen is about the transformation of character and it's a journey from self-centeredness to altruism, basically. Um, as Yamada Roshi said, it's the perfection of character, not just about having um, special kind of experiences. What's also important too, um, to look at the part that Daisan plays um, in practice as well. Um, Daisan is about looking at the whole of practice and it's about looking at the whole of the parameters. Some people come to Daisan um, and all that they're focused on is the state of mind they're in at their me in their meditation, and often have questions about the technique, or they they describe to you what's happening in their own conscious experience, right? Whether it's whether it's blissful or difficult or whatever, but to really use Dyson with the most potential, um, look at all the parameters, not just meditation. You know, look at how generosity might be limited in your life, or patience may be limited in your life, mm -hmm. or whether we um, at times uh, don't act as ethically as what we could in life, mm -hmm. and cut corners. And the, all of those things together make up the grist for the mill for Dyson. So it's not just what happens in session or in your meditation, Dyson is about what happens in your everyday life. In fact, honestly, that's what I'm more interested in. You know, is how, how you actually bring this practice to bear in your, in your everyday life so there is a transformation of character and it moves out of that self-centred being into a sense of interconnectedness. The basic... Um, the basic insight of wisdom is, is really that there is no self um, and that everything is interconnected with everything else and everything is transient and it's to know that in your bones not just as an intellectual idea um, and for that trans for, and so if we see that everything is interconnected that is the mother that gives birth to the generosity and the patience and so on Right, because the, the self has been seen through as a false refuge to go into. So, um, as you practice through the rest of this session, keep all of those six parameters in mind and not just meditation. Thank you.